0: Welcome friends. My name's Tammy Simon and I'm the founder of Sounds True and creator and co-host of the Inner MBA program. It's my delight to share with you this exclusive Inner MBA socially conscious CEO podcast series. The series is built from interviews that Soren Gordhammer, co-host of the Inner MBA, and I have conducted over the past three years. The series features over 40 transformational CEOs from around the world, running a diverse range of companies, all with a shared mission, that business be a force of collective good. These conversations are rich and meaningful, open and candid about personal failures, discoveries under pressure, and breakthroughs. They feature leaders who have faced enormous workplace challenges and have emerged as inspiring wisdom figures, bringing a depth of real-world insight to our work together in the Inner MBA. I've gleaned so many practical ideas from these conversations, and I trust you will too. Thanks in advance for listening, and please let us know about your experience with the Inner MBA Socially Conscious CEO podcast series. Welcome back. This is our CEO interview storytelling session with Rose Macario. and this is truly my heart's delight to be able to have this con- conversation with Rose and to share Rose with you. You know it's one thing to learn from the conscious business trainers and coaches that are featured in the inner MBA. And that's terrific. And I love hearing from the CEOs the people who are right in the fire of doing well and doing good at the same time and pulling back the curtain and learning from their experience. Rose Macario is the former CEO of Patagonia and under Rose's leadership over 12 years, Patagonia was both its most prosperous and its most activist It had its strongest activist voice in the world. Under Rose's leadership, the business grew from 170 million in sales to well over a billion a year in sales. Upworthy named Rose one of the nine most inspiring CEOs in America. In 2016, Fast Company called her one of the most creative CEOs. Conscious Company Magazine called Rose the ultimate mindful leader. And I want to just share something personal uh, about Rose in my own life experience, which is when I first met her, not only was she, and she's continued to be, tremendously generous towards me, but she said something at the end of our first meeting. She looked at me and she said, you know, Tammy, now's the time to be bold. Bold. And it landed. It landed, and this was several years ago. And since then, I think about it a lot, and I've been trying uh, to live into that inspiration. And quite honestly, Rose, it's great to have someone like you as a friend who models it. Thank you. Let's welcome Rose Macario.
1: Thank you, Tammy. That's great to hear that story. That, that gave me chills.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's by way of introducing you as a person, as a human, not just the former CEO of Patagonia. Talk a little bit, if you would, Rose, about your early life, what it was like for you, and how and why you became a business person in the first place.
1: Well, my early life was kind of a typical middle-class upbringing until like a lot of people's families, you know, my parents divorced in the 70s, and my mother had absolutely no economic power. She didn't have a job. She didn't have any training. And my father left with no no alimony, no child support. Uh, she couldn't afford, you know, legal help to help her. And this left a huge impression on me, you know, because having economic, some economic power control over your own circumstance, it, it, it was very meaningful to me because I'd had this experience of kind of living a middle-class life and then being on, you know, public assistance and, uh, welfare and food stamps. And, and I saw the the difficulties my mom went through. And so, so, you know, it, it's funny, You, you go through these traumas and they affect you your whole life. And for me, if I've, if I could master business and understand how to how to make money in the world, um, that felt like what was driving me in in my really early years. And business seemed like well, at least it was a way to make money. You know, my friends that were artists and stuff like that seemed like they were struggling. So, you know, that's that's how I ended up going into business and finance. Mm-hmm.
0: And what do you think innately made you have a gift for business?
1: Well. I've always been a very curious person, and and I like to, you know, question why things are done and how they're done. You know, I came from a very, like, immigrant Italian family, you know, and the idea was you had a really strong work ethic, and you went into work, and you did your job better than anyone else, and you kind of kept your head down. And so I had that those kinds of, those kinds of things. Um, and also, I tried to, I tried to, Find who the good leaders were uh, and then in the company, even if they weren't my boss (laughs) and get to know them. And um, and most of the time that ended up kind of helping advance my career. And if I was in a situation with a bad leader, reporting to a bad leader, I would just sort of take the attitude that, um, well, I have a lot to learn from this person of how not to be a, a leader and i think you know tammy i this is retrospective right because i'm 57 sure. now but you know i also didn't choose to have children and i don't think i think a lot of women are really um they come out of their careers in the middle of their life because because they have this really difficult decision to make um you know to take care of their kids and and so i didn't i didn't choose to have children and i think in some ways that you know that allowed me to develop in ways that maybe other women wouldn't have had the chance to do that. And it's it's why um, having on-site childcare was so important to me at Patagonia.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, so I'm, I'm hearing everything you're saying, and I'm with you on the work ethic, and I'm with you on uh, looking for good models. The fact that you decided to learn from bad models instead of just, like, get me away from those people, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, And I'm with you in terms of not uh, having children. And and so you had the ability to focus on your work. But I also think, Rose, just to dig in a little bit, there's something about the way you look at problems, the way you analyze things, the way you investigate and dig and think that uh, has also been part of your success. And I I wonder what you might have to say about that upon reflection. Well, I think that,
1: uh, yes, I have always been kind of like an inquirer and a researcher, you know, sort of person. I, I like to find the root causes of things. And, and I do think that that it's a really helpful tool in business, you know, because sometimes the, what you're seeing in front of you might seem so obvious, but then you start digging and you start talking to people and you start, you know, like figuring things out. And the answer might be a totally different answer.
0: Okay. Okay. I feel satisfied now. All right. Now your early interest in Buddhism, how did yes. that come about?
1: <laughs> um, you know, it just it just happened. I was in my early 20s and I was lamenting with with my partner at the time, who had who had, by the way, a bookshelf of of spiritual teachers on her bookshelf. And um that that I felt, you know, really disconnected from Catholicism, which was a religion I was raised in. And and she gave me like a, a, a book of a talk that Krishnamurti had done. And I read it and it just like blew my mind because he was talking about all these things that seemed to me really important about life. And um, and I was like, wow, I want to dig into this more. And, you know, and then I started listening. You know, I, 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 got, I got, you know, tapes and stuff from Sounds True, Tammy. Okay. I believe you. I went to these places where I could listen to these spiritual teachers, and I just felt like this, like, wow, I was on to something, and I wanted to, you know, dig in more, and I went to those places where I could dig in more, and I, you know, and I started reading Jack Kornfield, and I started reading, you know, uh, listening to tapes of Ram Dass, and, you know, just, just different teachers, you know.
0: Okay. Now, earlier uh, today in our conversation, we heard from some of the conscious business trainers who said, you know, yes, I was clergy over here and I was in business over there. And these two things were separate. And it wasn't until much later in my life that I found a way to bring them together. How how did that work for you?
1: Well, I think you know, I got through the sur- survival mode. I got past survival mode. I was, I was an executive now in Silicon Valley and doing very well. And when you're past survival mode, you can think about some of these bigger bigger issues. And I really I really looked at the choices that I had made. I looked at what business was doing and I was, I was struggling with it. You know, do I wanna be a part of something that I feel is inherently kind of bad for people in the planet Does it have to be that way? What are the other options and alternatives? And I I think that was sort of the way I came to it. I mean, I realized that like, I have to make a change or it was like watching a train wreck, you know? Like I see the train coming, I see this train wreck happening in which I become this person that I don't want to be. And if I don't change things now, then, I'll, I'll never change them. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. So I made a very dramatic move, and I left, I left my very uh, well-paying, you know, gig and, and corporate America, and I took a break and kind of got my head
0: together. Okay. Uh, for the person who's, who's listening, who's in that place where they say, you know, I've been living a trade-off. Like, I have this view that you have to trade off. In order to earn the kind of money I need, I have to do this thing. And what what would you say to that?
1: Well, at that time in in my career, it didn't feel like there were a lot of places to go to look for responsible companies. I mean, they were were primarily, um, you know, private companies like yours or Patagonia. um, And you had to kind of seek them out. But now I feel like there's more community. You know, there's there's the Benefit Corporation movement. Um, there's a whole host of companies now that um, take corporate purpose very seriously and, and want to do more for people in the planet. And so I, I think there's more resources now. There's more companies now. I, I, I see a lot of, um, I'm, I'm running a, um, I'm partnering a venture fund right now and I'm, I, I see so many great companies that are trying to solve um, the issues that we have with climate and um, the social, you know, the social issues that we have, and so I don't know. I I feel like there's a l- little bit more of a roadmap, um, but you know, it's a journey. It takes it takes time. It's very risky. It feels very risky to leave a comfortable job.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you share more of that juncture in your life? What was happening for you? How did you have the courage to leave? How did you sort your way through that transition period?
1: Well, it was, it was strange because I was um, getting more and more. I was meditating more. I was getting more involved um, with, um, with, with the meditation practice and with, the, with, the, with my own sort of inner dialogue about why was I here and what was I doing. And so, it was strange. I mean, it was like a, There was actually one really strange moment. You know, I was I was in a um, I was in a limo doing a road show. You know, getting driven around New York, which in and of itself is kind of insane because you know you're only blocks away from most of the places that you have to be. Um, and there was this uh, homeless person crossing the street who was obviously mentally ill and holding holding up my limo because they were kind of stopped and wavering in front of the limo. And I. And I was getting kind of annoyed by it, you know? Because it was like, oh, this person's holding me up. And and I saw my reflection in the side of the limo, and I was like, I, I got scared. Like, is this the person I'm going to become, the person who's annoyed at a person who has mental illness because I'm on my way to a meeting? <laughs> and I felt like everything in my life was going in that direction unless I made a change. And so I went down to Central Park, I got out of the car I was in, I walked to Central Park and I was sitting on a park bench. And I thought, you know, I have to make a big decision here. Like, do I continue doing the thing that's safe and that anchored me because, you know, I was always afraid of being poor (laughs) without a job. And, And do I make a big transformation? And I decided I would make a big transformation. I would leap, even though I I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if I had, you know, my parachute. I didn't know if there was ground underneath me, you know. Um, yeah, that's. It was sort of a culminating moment like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, from the practice of meditation, you credit meditation with uh, helping you cultivate an inner sense of confidence. Inner joy, inner equanimity, and peace and kindness—that's a lot. Tell us more about how meditation has helped you cultivate these qualities.
1: Well, in in, in, in like Tibetan meditation, you're practicing those qualities all the time. You know, you're practicing loving kindness. You're you're practicing equanimity and joy. And you're and you're bringing. You know, you start you start with yourself. And and then the people that you love and that you're close to, and then you kind of bring it out to the neutral people, and then to the people that you might not, you know, might not know or might not like. I mean, the people you don't like—that's a tough one, right? <laughs> and and so you practice it. And I, I just think, like anything else, you know, you have to you have to practice something to get to get good at it, you know. And 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 to cultivate those—it's um, not just about like an intellectual exercise. You actually have to generate those feelings. And when you generate those feelings, you know, they become more um, mo- they become more a part of you. And, and so, you know, there's not like one moment I can point to or anything, but I can say that the practice is is a very helpful practice if you wanna, you know, if you if you're starting from a base of of nothing, it 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 can help build build up that base for you.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to ask you specifically about inner confidence because one of the things I saw having gone through now the inner MBA for one year was that a lot Mm -hmm. of people in the inner MBA said, you know, this all sounds great, but I'm held back by these doubts or these fears or these Mm -hmm. ways that I don't feel worthy on and on. And I, I was like, oh, my God, the inner MBA is almost like a confidence incubator, for people. (laughs) What do you have to say about that, Rose? As somebody who does, in my view, you do all kinds of like big, strong things.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that it has to come from love, right? I mean, the things that you do, um, for me anyway, it it has to come from the love of a community, the love of the planet, the love of the people that you are um, that you surround yourself with, the love for people that you don't even know. Um, so it has, kind of has to come from that. And, you know, in the, in the Buddhist text, you know, the Buddha kind of says, like, you can extinguish fear with, um, with inquiry. And I think that's kind of interesting because when you really think about like what holds you back from having a tough conversation or what holds you back from doing something really bold in your business, you know, it's always that your, you know, your inquiry kind of stops. It stops at you know, uh, someone will think badly of me or this won't go well or you know some projection of the future. Um, some negative projection of the future because you have some belief about what an outcome is going to be, and and I just think that when you really look deeply into the into why you're doing certain things um, and why you're choosing to take certain actions, if you stay present with it and you believe in it, then it just it happens in a in a in a natural way, and. The consequences, well, you've already thought through the consequences. The consequences aren't really that meaningful in the big scheme of things. If it's something that you really believe in, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. I think this would be a great place, Rose, for you to give me an example from your own life of something hard that uh, you had to do that required a lot of strength and confidence and how you used inquiry to get through it.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I'll give you a really recent example of when I left Patagonia. Um, I was, uh, without question, probably at the pinnacle of my career. um, And I was questioning, um, what would I do in the next 10 years? Would I stay at Patagonia and kind of continue to to ride the wave of what I had created? Um, And at that point, the question for myself was like, well, I could do that, but that feels easy. You know, that feels like a path I know will, you know, kind of have a certain consequence. And, you know, I felt comfortable being the CEO at that point. I'd been CEO for seven years. But then I looked at the world and I thought, well, is it the best use of my skill set to spend the next 10 years doing exactly what I'm doing? And is that what the world needs right now? And, and then that was a line of questioning. And then would it make, what, what would make me feel like I was contributing as much as I could contribute? And, and I had to go down that line of questioning. And at the end of the day, I felt like what I needed to be focusing on was not running a retail company anymore, even though it's a wonderful retail company, but there's big transitions that need to happen in business in the next 10 years, or we won't have a planet to live on. We won't have a livable future. So, What's the best way for me to spend my time? That was a really hard inquiry to go through, right? Because I was really comfortable and, and um, proved myself and all of that. And it um, was walking away from a certain amount of security. But I don't know. I just, I, I felt compelled to do it. And if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have been able to really sit with myself and feel that I had um, lived up to my full potential.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, I know uh Rose I've heard you talk about warriorship and that you're comfortable with this notion of a type of meditative warriorship and I wonder if you can say more about that what what you mean by warriorship
1: well, I mean warrior more like in like the yogic warrior poses, you know where it's about your inner your inner strength and I think it's it's really important to develop and cultivate, you know, to cultivate that strength as much as possible. Because in the end, you can you can get a lot of opinions from someone, but you really don't know what you believe until you get really still and listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then and then you can find the answers, you know. And so, I mean, tr- Trump or Rempachet said something I really like. A, a tr- uh, a, re, a true warrior is never at war with the world, and I, I, I don't mean it in the in the sense of like kind of doing battle and having fights all the time. <laughs> but I do mean it in terms of like having fierceness, having strengths, having the courage of your convictions. You know.
0: Now I wanted to ask you a question, Rose, that came up from our morning session. This was from Jeremy Hunter who teaches at the Peter F. Drucker School of Management. And he also coaches and works with high level leaders and executives. And he said that in his coaching work, this is a key question that he's found that he works with leaders on. How does your relationship to pain affect your actions and influence you as a leader? specifically in terms of like risks you might take, or how you might bring yourself forward, or how you're running your company. How does your relationship to pain affect your actions? I thought that was just really a deep inner uh, look at how we relate to pain, each one of us. And yeah. I'm wondering where that question lands uh, with you and how you've come to relate to pain inside yourself so that you can be as effective as you are.
1: Well, I would say two things about that. One is is um, pain when you're making difficult decisions. Like there's you know there's there's always an element of that, right? You always have difficult decisions to make and difficult conversations to have. And in my life. Um, when I've made really big changes, um, I I've, I really like this metaphor. My friend Vicki Noble, who who did the motherpiece to Tarot, told me this once, and was having a really hard time with the big change I was making. It was creating a lot of suffering for me because I was like, "What am I going to do? What 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 path am I going to take? You know, what what company should I work for?" And I was struggling a lot with it, and and she she and, it, and I was describing how physically uncomfortable it was making me, you know, and stressed and whatever. And she said, Oh, I know that feeling. I know exactly that feeling. She said, that's like when, you know, the the butterfly and the chrysalis, you know, before it becomes a butterfly, it just turns to jelly and it's completely formless, <laughs> you know. And then, and then that yeah, that process, that formlessness has to happen. And then it's a butterfly. And that metaphor really helped me to kind of deal with my own sort of you know, personal agony I was going through about my changes and my decisions. But, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I've think i never really cared much what people think of me. And that, that's been really helpful, you okay. know, because I, I don't get, I don't feel, you know, I can let, take in a lot of opinions and I can take in a lot of criticism, but I, I don't really
0: take it personally. And OK. That's helpful. It's really helpful. Let's let's talk to the person out there who's more thin skinned and does care what people think. How how do you is this just a natural thing about you? I don't care what people think about me.
1: <laughs> well, I I yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, I don't know what it what it what it's related to, but but I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, the person that you have to answer to is yourself. The person that you know the best is yourself. And the person who creates whatever positive or right action in the world is yourself. So you have to have an intimate connection with yourself and your own mind in order to be able, I think, to be, to be successful and to bring other people along with your vision.
0: Okay, one of the things I learned uh, once again in going through the first year of the Inner MBA was that a lot of the ahas that people had were about their mindset. That they had come to invest in a certain set of beliefs about things. Like, I can only do this at work and bring my heart forward in this way. Or if I talk about my real spiritual visions, I'll lose my job or whatever. All kinds of mindset ideas that Mm -hmm. people had that they started challenging. And were like, oh, that that was just an idea that I had. You know, that I couldn't find patient capital that would support me for, you know, multi-generations. not possible. Oh my God, it's possible. So what do you think is the mindset that we need to cultivate as conscious business leaders? I think curiosity, uh,
1: love. When I look at all of my decisions, you know, that I've made over you know, my 57 years, whenever I've made a decision out of fear, it's always the wrong decision. Whenever I make a decision out of love, it's always the right decision, you know, so cultivating that, that mindset and then internalizing, you know, really knowing yourself, like I was talking about, you know, taking the time to know yourself to check in with yourself about your values, you know. This is something I've always done, you know, since I was since I was really young. I don't I don't know what kind of got me on it, but it is helpful. You know, in businesses we plan our businesses, you know, we plan one year, we plan 5 years, we plan one quarter, we plan. You know, how much time do you spend on yourself doing that? And your own career and your own contribution and thinking about you know, how you can make um, the fullest contribution that you can of, of your gifts, you
0: know? Okay, so I wanna find out more what you mean by making decisions out of love, because I hear that, I hear it and, you know, I hear songs and I kind of feel it a little, but I'm also a little, like curiosity, I think I understand, like being curious, asking lots of questions. But when I hear that about making decisions out of love, I wanna know what that actually means for you. How do you feel it? How do you know you're coming from that place?
1: well it is a feeling i mean and i i am a person who kind of you know goes by my gut responses to things and you know i i think the way that i know it is that the the outcome what, what will be the outcome has a certain energy to it has a certain positive feeling energy to it and um And the people that I'm around, I'm talking about as a leader, are excited to move it forward. Um, That energy is contagious. And that's the kind of energy that, like, drives change out in the world. And so, yeah, I I, I don't know. It's hard to put a definition around it, you know. But it's one of those things, like, you know it when you see it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I can start to feel it a bit when you're talking about, like, you know, when when you're in a room in a meeting and everybody's getting really turned on about this possibility, it's a lot different than when things are kind of falling flat and you're, you know, you're not sure. It's it's a lot different feeling. Yeah. Or
1: when you're under attack and, you know, people are saying, well, this is what we could do to seem less under attack or, you know, you know, that's kind of a a fearful place to be coming from, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So what do you say to someone though, who says, look, this all sounds great. I don't want to come from fear, but let's be honest. I have a lot of fear. I have fear. I have a lot of fear. I fear about this. I fear about the planet. I fear about my career. I fear about money. I fear about the business I'm currently in. Rose? Question mark? (laughs) Help that person.
1: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a feeling, right? And and can you, can you extinguish it is, is the Buddha right? Can you extinguish it by by kind of asking questions about whether the fear is really real or not or just a projection of what you think a bad outcome might be? And even if you do get a bad outcome, do you care? Because it's something you believe in and it's something that you you think is the right thing to do in that moment? I mean, I don't know. That's the way I think about it.
0: Okay, it's helpful. Now, another question that I wanted to ask you about mindset is I think that we've inherited a lot of beliefs about business, business uh, as the status quo, conventional business. Mm -hmm. What do you think are the myths and misconceptions about business that we really need to leave behind? You talked about this next decade being so important. What ideas about business can we not take with us into the next decade if we're gonna be successful in the way we need to be successful?
1: Oh, we could write a whole book about that, but, um, <laughs> you know, that business, you know, I think that business is some separate, you know, playground that it's not interdependent on all the natural systems that we are all interdependent on. You know, that, that's, a really, that's a really terrible uh, paradigm to take into the future, you know? Um, that, that women, that, that women and people of color, that that they're not ready to lead, and, and think you know that's a that's a terrible paradigm to take into the future. You know, um, that wealth is is better concentrated and into a few people. I don't think that's a very good paradigm. Um, you know, relying on old systems um, that have failed us miserably. We're we're in a we're in a planetary crisis because of them. I mean, I. I'm more excited about the idea of, of a more aspirational future and imagining what that looks like um, than I am. I think that that opens up a world of, of opportunity for all of us. Um, you know, I, I also think that also think that like a lot of our management has style has kind of grown out of like a militaristic kind of hierarchy where 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 people think that like. If you shame someone or make them feel bad, that they're going to work harder, you know, I mean, like it's a terrible model. But you'd be surprised. There's a lot of there's a lot of men and women who who use that that model, and I think it's just a it's just a horrible way to run a company.
0: Okay, so tell me about Rose Macario's aspirational future. The uh, business as a regenerative, powerful force in the world. What is it that you see the possibility that we can get excited about here?
1: Well, look, I mean, we have a lot of work to do right now because we have had these systems that have been so, uh, uh, you know, so degraded all the natural systems. And and so we have to sort of change everything about the way we, we um, get our energy, the way we transport ourselves from place to place. We need to change our agriculture system into a more regenerative system instead of one that you know, pours pesticides everywhere on the ground and destroys our topsoil. We need to change our means of production and, and, and to have less impact and use less water and, you know, all of that. So there's like this whole basket of work to be done that we need to get our arms around, need to get it, get our
0: arms around quickly in the next decade. And there's a lot of opportunity there. Okay, tell, tell me more what you see about the opportunity. Well, I notice what I feel is like ten years. That's not enough time to do all that you just described. <laughs> yeah. it, feel, it feels like a little bit of a setup. Like, is it even really possible?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I just mean this is a critical period, right? We're going to live longer than ten years for sure, but but it's a critical period for things to to change and transform quickly. You know, for us to to change our whole way of viewing electrification, for us to change our whole way of looking at food systems. I mean, you know, I, I think that we have to embrace that we have to act boldly and and make big systemic change right now. If incrementalism will kill us, you know, it's like the budget that you get and they just added 5% from last year, you know, onto the budget. And now here's a new budget. <laughs> you know, that's incrementalism. We don't need incrementalism. You know, we need we need bold change and we need bold ideas.
0: Okay. So after you left Patagonia, uh, soon after you left, you were uh, part of our Inner MBA commencement year one, and you ended with this this blessing. You, I asked you. I said, "Will you will you offer some?" You know, I just threw it out as this curveball that came to me, some kind of blessing <laughs> to the people who are here for their first year, and you said. What are the, you said, uh, ask a question so big that only your life can answer it. That's what you said as a blessing. It was very curious and intriguing. (laughs) Ask a question so big that only your life can answer it. So after leaving Patagonia, what were the questions that you spent time asking before you started making new commitments to be on new boards and be part of new, new ventures?
1: Well, first there were some, you know, personal questions about my own, you know, how would I feel satisfied going forward into this next decade? And I tend to think of my career in decades It's just the way I've always thought about it. It Seems like a good chunk of time to think about. Um, You know, how could I have the most impact on the things that really matter to me, which to me is this transition to a more just form of capitalism, you know? And, and then there were personal questions, like how could I be a better you know, partner to my wife and you know, things like that. Um, but the point is that you, know, you take the time to reflect and, and consider your contributions to the world. You know, and I know sometimes that feels like a weird thing to say because, you know, you might be at an entry level job somewhere, but you have to start thinking about it at some mm-hmm. point. So it's better to start thinking about it sooner. What do you love? What do you admire? What do you value? You know, and, and those, are, those are big questions. And for me, it was how can I have the most impact in the next decade that's so critical to, to cl- the climate crisis? How can I help? move this just transition to a new kind of stakeholder capitalism forward, what are the things that I can do?
0: And when you use a phrase like just capitalism, can you tell me what that is?
1: Well, it's a a more diverse, inclusive form of capitalism. It's the kind of capitalism that takes into account more than just the financial shareholder. It takes into account other stakeholders. it's it's capitalism that understands that the natural world has limits. I mean, we're we're you by 2030 we'll be we'll be using you know two planets worth of, of resources if we continue in the same cons- consumption habits and, and uh, means of production habits that we currently have. Um, so that's to me that's what just capitalism is. I mean, it 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 doesn't mean that. It also, it also means that you're profitable and you run a great business. I mean, and I have, a, I have the real example of doing that at Patagonia. And it, it's, not, it's not that you have to sacrifice to, to do these things. It's, it's more that you just have to change your mindset to include them into all of the conversations that you're having about what your company means and what the purpose of your company is.
0: Mm -hmm. And indeed the experience you had at Patagonia demonstrated this. And I want to talk some about that. I also want to let everyone know that you can ask questions to Rose and type them in, and soon uh, Soren will be joining me and he'll Mm -hmm. be bringing forward uh, some of the conversations from uh, our participant group. But let's uh, talk about your time at Patagonia for a moment, Rose, because I remember you uh, telling me once, that you were leaving behind a whole body of work at Patagonia. And I thought that was such an interesting phrase, you know, because normally you think of a writer who says, I've created a philosopher or an artist, you know, or someone who's designed curriculum, this body of work. I've never heard that phrase in reference to uh, setting up a business before. And I thought it was so interesting. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I I just mean it to encompass, you know, the different, I mean, I, I'm not very interested in like just kind of leading in a, in a way that is incremental, right? So I tried to do things um, that made others um, want to follow them. And, and so, you know, having a company that was devoted to environmental protection, um, having a company that was a model of being responsible with it's working families and employees that were, were working with them, um, taking a lot of risks. I mean, we sued the president over public lands. You know, these are things that, you know, hopefully were models to other CEOs and other companies that, you know, the stakes are really high. And business has a really powerful voice. And I, I hope that's what I left as part of that body of work. that using your voice as a business to weigh in on these issues that are the most important issues of our lifetime um, is a much better it's, it, first of all, it's inspiring to your employees. Second of all, it, it, it helps the rest of civil society. you know it helps politicians, it helps it, it, it helps the rest of, of civil society understand where you stand. And business always kind of did those things, but it was always in the back room, you know, through lobbyists and things like that. And I felt it was really important to front stage all that because customers want to vote with their dollars and they want to know the values of the companies that they're buying from and working at.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So what if somebody says, you know, business has a voice. Look, I'm trying to create a great brand. I'm trying to be really profitable. Now I have a a voice about what's happening in the world. There's so many things I don't even understand that are, that's a lot. That's a lot to take on. Really? That's the job of business too.
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, talk to a mom and what they go through every day, how many things they're juggling. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like the businesses that will be successful in the next you know, century, right, will be those companies that recognize that they have a responsibility that's greater than just to the financial shareholder and just to make money, that they also have a purpose. And and maybe it's not to weigh in on every issue. Maybe it's, you know, specific to whatever their, their business is or whatever their, um, uh, you know, the things that they care about. But, you know, you, you still have to care about something.
0: Mm -hmm. And what would you say to employees who want to drive change and having their business have a voice in the world? How can they do it? I mean, you're you're you've coming at it from the perspective of the the leader and CEO.
1: Well, we've seen it. You know, we've seen it like with, you know, students forcing their board of trustees to get out of fossil fuels. We've seen it with, you know, employees at, at high tech companies that, you know, don't want their Companies to you know get involved with certain kinds of <clears throat> you know defense systems and things like that, or sell product to you know refuge, you know whatever um, these these camps and stuff. I mean, I think that's. I, I think we're seeing it already, and, and we expect. And I know. At Patagonia, I expected our employees to tell us what they thought about issues and to weigh in on things. It doesn't mean we're going to do every single thing they weigh in on. But it's important that there's a sense of community and openness and that people feel that they can say what they need to say and talk about the issues that are important to them. Because if they're important to your employees, they're going to be important to your business
0: hmm. Now, a couple of times, Rose, you've said, you know, I'm not interested in, in incremental growth, you know, and I immediately thought to myself, the 36 years of incremental growth we've had, it sounds true. And, you know, I always thought it was kind of organic and gradual, and I, uh, you know, I feel good about it. And uh, at the same time, I, I'm trying to really appreciate what you're saying, and understand that is it just because of the urgency of our time, or is it because something else that has to do, and you talk about how Patagonia was always outpacing everyone else. And that's impressive to me. And, and maybe that's because you weren't just going for this incremental thing. You
1: know, when I was talking about incrementalism, I wasn't really talking about revenue. I, I was I was talking about, um, I would, that, that's more of a mentality, right? You know, like, we'll just do a little bit different than we did last year. And and I, what I was really talking about was, you don't want incrementalism in in thought and strategy because you want a world. You know we're we're dealing with these like huge intractable problems right now, like like the climate crisis, and it you can't bring an incrementalist mind to that, right? You've got to you've got to think bigger than that. That's that's what I meant by that. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with, you know, how fast a company grows or doesn't grow or whatever.
0: Okay. Now, now I read that in terms of the boards that you're currently sitting on, that you'll only sit on boards of companies that are based on first principles and are able to scale. Can, can you explain that, both of those ideas and why they're so important to you?
1: Yeah. So first principles companies are companies that sort of approach a problem with a clean sheet of paper. And they don't sort of rely on the old systems, right? They they say, if I was going to, I happen to be on a, car, a board of an electric car company, if, if I'm going to build a car today, what would that look like, right? And it's probably not going to be an internal combustion engine, you know? If I'm going to create um, uh, an agricultural product, um, How would I do that today knowing that we have scarce resources, we'll have scarce fresh water, but we'll have more people on the planet and they need more protein or food. You know, it's, it's those kinds of, it's answering those kinds of questions. And the scaling part is there's got to be some hope for the change to be adopted more widely because, because we have a very short period of time to really turn the tide. And so they need to be companies that have a good shot at making it. That's that's sort of my my litmus test. Mm
0: -hmm. And something else I wanted to ask you about in our uh, first interview, and just to let everyone know, the interview from year one will be available for you on your Matrix platform so you can find it. And it was really uh, hot stuff in my personal opinion. Uh, You said, you quoted Martin Luther King as saying a budget is a moral compass. And I wrote that down. Several people, it sounds true, wrote it down. And now we've been talking to each other as we're creating our budget for next year. It's a moral compass. What does that mean exactly? And uh, I'm curious, like, what, what did that mean for you at Patagonia? And if you looked at a budget and you thought that's really amoral, what is it that you would see?
1: Well, uh, that, essentially what that means to me, I think I think the actual quote is a, is a budget's a moral document, but uh-huh. because it expresses where you're willing to sp- spend capital, you know and 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 what you're willing to invest in. And you know so we might we might have a product that we felt like would have a lower impact on on the planet. Um, but it's going to cost the, the raw material will cost us more well you make a decision to accept the additional cost because you don't feel good about continuing to create a product with the same level of impact that it has you're looking at a capital project you know a big building or something that you want to build you know and it might cost you more to make that a green building but you're going to make the decision for it to cost you more And then sometimes if you dig deeper, like childcare was a good example of that. I expanded our childcare program when I was in Patagonia. You know, people will say, oh, if you just look at the numbers, it costs too much. But then they don't look deeply enough because they don't look at, do you have as much attrition? You know, what's your your gender equity like in management? you know, how engaged are your employees because of it? You know, they don't look at the other pieces that put together um, the other side of the budget. Like, like I think you, you just can't look at a financial budget and make every decision based on that, or you're not going to inspire anyone. <laughs> that's, that's my thinking about it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Rose, a final question for uh, you. Okay. Your PITH instructions for being bold. <laughs> We have no time to
1: waste. So, and what happens if you fail? Who cares? You tried it. You did it. I mean, that's that to me is like, there's nothing to be, I mean, if you don't try it, if you don't go for it, you know, what's the point? Mm -hmm. You got to go for it. That's what I think. That's my fifth instruction. Go for it. I love it.
0: (laughs) <laughs> All right, everybody, so this is uh, your time. Well, first, let's just take a moment, and thank you, Rose. Uh, thank you so much from my heart. You yeah. are such a generous person, mm-hmm. and I know that uh, from the way you talk about your inner life, there's so much uh, authenticity to it, and you're not afraid to just be yourself and share, and uh, that's its own kind of a warriorship, in my opinion, mm-hmm. so I just want to thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your friendship to Sounds True in the Inner MBA. Yeah, thank you. Well, and thank you for everything that Sounds True brought to my life in those early years, Tammy, and continues to bring to it. I remember when we talked, you called me the OG, and I had to look it up afterwards. I was like, what does that even mean? It's like, the fact that I don't know what it means is, like, is, is funny in and of itself. But uh, thank you. Thank you for that. OK, everyone, here's your chance. Uh, you can hit the community button, and then you know what to do. Uh, Talk to another person about what is most alive for you, what's been most meaningful to you from this conversation. So go ahead, hit the community button, and you'll be on your way. Thanks for listening please make sure to leave your comments on this interview here on the platform. And if there's a socially conscious CEO that you'd like us to interview as part of the Inner MBA, please let us know at soundstrue.com.